Hello, this is episode 112 of Greater Than Code. I am Avdi Grimm, and with me is Astrid Counte. Thank you, Avdi. And I'm also here with my great friend, Coraline Ada Imke. Hey, everybody. Also here today is Jessica Kerr. Good morning, and I am happy to be here today with our guest, Marcel Bird. Marcel is a public health and arts advocate originally from Atlanta, Georgia, but currently residing in D.C. Through his work, Marcel is curious to further articulate and foster the relationship between public health, systems-level social change, and dance. Welcome to the show, Marcel. Hi, thank you for having me. We are so glad you're here, and we're very curious to learn what is your superpower and how did you acquire it? Something about me is that like it, I'm usually very, it's very easy for me to laugh. I'm very much someone that like finds kind of everything hilarious. And I think that sometimes it, you know, it, I mean, certainly it definitely helps with um, social interactions and stuff like that. Um, so I would say sort of a really explosive relationship with laughter. And I kind of just acquired that through, yeah, just sort of being in this body for 25 years. Awesome. Jessica's known for laughter too and enthusiasm and it's wonderful. Mm. That is a beautiful superpower, finding everything hilarious. It's also a great survival tactic for the times that we live in. Yeah, very... (laughs) Oh, that's real. (laughs) No kidding. So, Marcel, I'm really interested in hearing about the intersection of public health and arts. What can you tell me about that? My background, sort of historically, has been kind of most specifically in, um, in sexual health, and so... I recently did a two-year fellowship at a nonprofit in D.C. Um, that sort of does some like work with health departments and stuff around issues of HIV and hepatitis. And in that role, I was kind of in this sort of health equity seat. So basically just sort of in the space of figuring out how can we shift our programming to be more inclusive of, you know, people who are, I guess, the most marginalized when it comes to, yes, HIV, hepatitis, but also just sort of like general like health outcomes and disparities. So for me, something that I'm really interested in is just kind of like, how do we make it so that health acknowledges the personhood that we all carry? Like rather than seeing people as like statistics or particular, you know, like factors of a disparity, like how can we have our health systems like reflect like just who we are like holistically and like all of our interests and like kind of bringing that to the table. And I think also for me specifically art and especially dance in particular, but also to a certain degree podcasting as well have just been really, really paramount for my own mental health, like and just having that form of, of expression. So For me, I've always kind of understood art sort of like on a personal level as being really like intricate to my health. Um, And so, yeah, that's just something that I'm trying to kind of further explore and like sort of bringing in art and artistic expression into discussions around public health, mental health, and not as like sort of like a supplemental piece or something that's like kind of extracurricular, but something that's actually foundational and really, really important for a sense of creativity, personhood, all of that. Wow. What's an example of to do that? So one, I guess, kind of very much on-brand example is, um, so I actually made a podcast through this um, previous role that kind of explored, basically it was um, a show that would explore kind of the relationship between public health work, like the work that various advocates were doing around issues like, you know, sexual health education, prison abolition, just like all types of different various social issues and sort of like basically creating a forum through which people can listen to this show and kind of get a better understanding of these issues while also kind of getting to know the person and sort of the story that precedes the work that they do. Something that I certainly noticed just through my time being in this work is that, you know, sometimes it gets very heady. Sometimes we talk about issues as if they don't relate to people. Um, Like we're quick to say X and X, you know, percent of people experience this like health outcome or you know this group of people is more likely to experience this we sort of like just do these blanket statements that kind of remove 
the individual people that make up that group. And so something that I was really curious to do was to create a show where we use like storytelling and narrative and personal backstory and all of that to kind of highlight that relationship. So for example, if someone says that they're a graphic designer by trade and they specifically work with nonprofits that work with issues of say diabetes or something like that. Like my question is always like, so like, how did you get to that point? Like, like, I, like I doubt you just woke up one day and were like, I want to do this. But like, you know, there was, I'm sure a series of events and kind of personal breakthroughs that led you to that point. So like, what is that piece? And like, kind of just how do we, yeah, just like sort of see like how people kind of get to where they are. So that's, that was something that I was really curious in doing. And something else also was that while I was in that role, I planned a three-day summit that explored sort of the relationship between health equity and like healing justice. So something that I did while I was there was, um, we had like a healing justice workshop, actually, where someone came in and sort of did some like guided meditations and just other practices to kind of get us more connected on a personal level. And we also at the very end of the summit we had for our last discussion, we had someone do have y'all heard of like, graphic recordings? No. So it's like basically when someone comes in and they take notes, but rather than like writing out hand notes, they like draw it. So they visually capture it. And like for the meeting, that was actually really important because like the theme of the of the summit was um, unlearning stigma, gaining magic. So it was kind of exploring magic as this idea of like this kind of like radical openness and like um, inclusivity. And so basically, like I wanted the summit to be sort of as artistically inclined as possible. I, I didn't want it to feel like a even though largely the people who were there were people from health departments and some other like nonprofits and stuff. I didn't want it to feel like a public health space, quote unquote. I wanted it to feel more like a holistic artistic personal space where people can kind of bring in their whole selves and where that art and that creativity is really really important because ultimately the the way i see it like imagination is paramount to creating a better world we have to be able to imagine circumstances that we ourselves never actually lived in or perhaps even gone through to create something we're just sort of like aimlessly create you know trying to work towards something that, that we don't actively cultivate in our imaginations and like what are we doing so that's always just sort of been my perspective on all of it. Um, and that's not even just specifically with sexual health. I, I would say that is in line with any sort of movement-related work just in general. So, yeah. Marcel, it sounds like you're trying to put the humanity back into these really big kind of messy topics. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That's very accurate. Yes. <laughs> so what do you think it is about art that allows that process to happen that maybe mm-hmm. isn't happening when you use other techniques? I think... Art ultimately, and so so in my experience, yeah, it's been, you know, things like dance, things like podcasting, stuff like that. But just in general, art is one of those things that it's vulnerable in a different way. Like when you create something artistically, it's like whether it be like a, like music or a movement related piece, there's like a personal investment that I think sometimes gets lost when we get really, you know, surrounded or inundated with sort of these merits around self-preservation. And what I mean by that is I think that sometimes, you know, when we talk about these issues, there's a very particular language that people typically use. Say if we're talking about HIV, if we're talking about hepatitis, especially when we're like talking about it on sort of like a systems, government, you know, health department related level, there's a certain way to talk about it. And I think oftentimes when we get really caught up in our heads, when we get really caught up with sort of like academic presentation, when we get caught up with sort of being perceived as experts and things like that, I think we, in essence, lose sort of the true nature of these issues. Like the issue, like the reason why we live with, you know, in a world with such disparity is that like, you know, we haven't necessarily been able to quite create the outcomes we've been looking for, or even if we have, like, it hasn't been like super long lasting. And so I think 
when we allow ourselves to be artistic and to be creative, it allows us to sort of remind ourselves like why we're even doing it. Or at least for me, that's kind of always been the case. Like when I put myself in a more sort of artistic creative space, yeah, it just, it, it brings more of who I am because when you create something artistically, like it's, it brings all of you to the table. Whereas I think sometimes when we're sort of like, you know, in these meetings or we're in these kind of like office spaces or whatever, like you bring sort of like your academic sort of version of yourself, which is not to say that that's different from who you are, but I think that sometimes we, vulnerability, personhood, being our whole selves, genuinely responding to how things affect us, that's not necessarily quote unquote professional. I think we're socialized to kind of code switch in that way and to be more quote unquote objective. And I think that when we allow ourselves to be artistic, it removes all of that. It removes all of that essence of trying to be painted in a certain way or hiding from vulnerability, but rather it embraces it. And we ultimately have to be vulnerable. I would even argue to even just talk about a lot of these, these issues. That really resonates with me, Marcel. When I'm not programming, I'm a, one of the things I do is I'm a musician, and I'm currently working on my sixth album. And based on conversations I had with people in my field and people in my life, I decided to make this album about my own struggles with mental health. Mm-hmm. And um, what you said about authenticity and being your whole self and being vulnerable really resonates with me because through the music, I'm talking about things that I've never said out loud to other people. I have Mm. uh, one song that I'm doing is about my experience with being involuntarily hospitalized. And Mm. I tell the story in that song, and that's not a story I've ever told to any other living soul. And I Mm. literally cried when I was recording it. But I think by being vulnerable and being authentic, that's where we really make a connection with people. And I like you're used to the term code switching because – that is a form of code switching, right? From mm-hmm. from that cold clinical voice to that personal voice. I think mm-hmm. that personal voice is how we actually make connections. Right. Yeah. And and thank you for sharing that. It's and I I mean I one thousand percent agree with you. It's just it's, it's it's unfortunate. I think it has a lot to do with. I think there's a lot of reasons why we kind of are socialized to do that. But I mean, even when you look at like children, for the most part, like children are like very kind of open about everything for the most part, typically. And it's like I think as we get older, we just notice that like you know this notion of saving face or being perceived a certain way, things like that just become more important. And I think that when we do that, we also it's like you can't have a personal movement by being impersonal. Like you have to like make it about. Like, like you, like you just, yeah, you just have to kind of remember why we're there and value vulnerability and the ability to be authentic, um, rather than seeing it as like a distraction or somehow like unprofessional or something like that. I have a question, which mm-hmm. you may or may not be able to answer, but how do you bring your whole self into your work and still remain professional when you're dealing with environments where those are mutually exclusive things? Because I agree. And I think a lot of people agree that you want to make real, true connections. And to do that, you need to be a true person and be able to show that. But then, at least for myself, I found it really hard to figure out when that's going to be possible or how to mm. navigate that without having you know, negative, negative side effects because of it. And I think that this is part of the reason why there's a lot of you know, fake authenticity going on because I think people want this, but they don't know how to do it without you know, putting themselves in a place where they may suffer consequences. Right. Yeah. I and mean, honestly, I mean, that is a <laughs> fabulous question. It's something I'm very much still trying to answer myself. I mean, in, in my experience, it's been, you know, you certainly want to, especially if, if we're assuming like a workspace type of situation, like, you know, you want to kind of 
something that I was always cognizant of is just kind of reading the room, sort of getting a feel of the culture. You know, when you first enter a space, just kind of just trying to see how things operate. Allies are really, really important. Like at least in you know the workspaces I've been in, it's really important to find other people who kind of feel the same way. And so like you kind of know how to communicate in a way that's more authentic with them. And you know that it won't necessarily lead to, to, to that backlash. But ultimately, I think that there's, I think we can also scale it, right? Like, I don't think there, you know, like, I think sometimes we look at vulnerability as like zero or a hundred. It's like either you're being not vulnerable at all, or you're just like laying everything on the table. And it's just like this whole thing. And I think that there's ways to kind of push it forward to be more vulnerable and sort of just like, being vulnerable to an extent where you feel comfortable, like you don't want to feel like, oh God, if I do this, like, you know, I'm putting my job on the line or, you know, something like that. But like, you know, you want to take it to a point where like, it feels like, okay, this is like a sort of a reasonable, you know, extension here, but also, you know, perhaps might be sort of historically unprecedented. So for example, even like when I created the the summit that I was telling you all about, and like, you know, that's that theme of like unlearning stigma, gaining magic, like, no one had ever even really did anything like that at my organization. So when I presented it, people were like, this is kind of weird, but like, you seem like you kind of know what you're doing. So we're just gonna like, let you, we're just gonna trust you to do this, which is a, which is a privilege. Like, you know, like a lot the, to be in that space where I was kind of given that institutional backing, like that is in itself, like a, you know, a situation that's not a reality for a lot of people. So I'm really thankful for that. But I think that I think there's a way to sort of get to know the environment, find the people who sort of feel the same way that you do, and also just kind of scale your vulnerability to the point where you feel comfortable. Like for one person, you know, they might be completely comfortable just being totally open with like how they feel about everything. But for someone else, if they're a bit more reserved or whatever, like, or perhaps like there's just other factors that need to be considered. Like, I think there's a way to still push the envelope, but like still, you know, kind of just, just challenge people to, I guess, to be more open in that way. Um, Or maybe just a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. So yeah, so I think, you know, it's very much a case by case basis. But yeah, I think and also too, I mean, there were times where, you know, I would literally just have to like, sort of leave the office space, go on walks and just kind of like, remind myself, okay, like, why am I actually here? Why am I actually doing this? And I think those reminders help you to kind of allow you to like, just push past the bullshit. Because honestly, like, I mean, there's like, there's a lot of bullshit to sift through when you're like, in like, I mean, with any sort of movement related work, you're gonna have to work with other people who are not you. And so like, People have different approaches. People have different experiences, which is good, but also like there can be a lot of disagreements there. And so I think for me, something that has really helped, especially doing work that feels so personal is like, okay, like I'm here because of X, Y, Z reason. And so like, if I'm like, are my actions right now reflecting the reasons or existing in tandems with the reason that I'm here? And if not, then like, what do I need to do to shift that? Um, Because I think if you don't keep those reminders, it's easy to kind of get caught up with things that like just don't matter or to like have those things consume mental space when they don't need to. So I would say that's another pillar as well. Marcel, you talked about the way I interpreted it, kind of reading the room to decide mm-hmm. how vulnerable you can be. What are some of the things you look at to determine how safe an environment is for you to be authentic and vulnerable? I mean, certainly just, I mean, kind of how people talk to one another. Um, I think a really simple one is, for example, like, you know, I've been in, in workplaces where people are in the kitchen and it's like, Oh, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. And like part ways, boom. And like, that's like it. And then like, I've also been in workplaces where people really kind of connect and like, you know, they really sort of like share those experiences and don't do so. It, it doesn't have to be because in any workplace, you find people who genuinely connect. Right. But I think it's different when you find people who feel comfortable connecting with one another behind a closed door versus people who do so very publicly. So when you're in a space where it's like, you know, people can kind of be in these open spaces and sort of openly talk about their lives and it's not 
distracting or like it's not like discouraged. I think that's kind of an indicator of like, okay, this seems like a space where people can kind of bring more of who they are to this workspace. And it's like not, you know, that's not discouraged or like seen as um, unprofessional or something like that. Aside from that, I would just say this might sound a little ethereal, but I think there's an energy that you can sort of just feel like when people are in a room together, like are people like looking at their phones or people just kind of like doing anything to sort of like not make eye contact with each other or people kind of in a space where they feel more relaxed or body language indicates, okay, like these people are kind of at least baseline, not against being here. Like people feel comfortable (laughs) enough in this space. I think that like there's that. And also I think, you know, certainly there's something to be said for, you know, just people's vocal statements around, you know, various, you know, perhaps political issues or sort of um, issues related to identity um, and just sort of getting a gauge of like how people talk about these things can also be an indicator of sort of like what is a safe space. Because if you're in a space where like people, like, people just ideologically disagree on things that like, you know, for you may not be up for debate, then it's like, oh, well, I mean, I don't, I don't think this is still that much. To, <laughs> there may not be much to gain here, or at least in this present moment, um, in this current context with these people. And I think time also is a really huge factor. Like, you know, sometimes you just really just need to exist with a group for a while. And then you'll kind of just sort of naturally, as you get to know people, be like, okay, like I can kind of see where people's heads are truly at. Because I think there's also a lot of dissonance. I think sometimes people market themselves or you know, present themselves in a certain way. But then you, as you get to know them, you realize, okay, like you actually may not necessarily feel that way. Um, and so, yeah, just sort of like, I would say just like in the way that you sort of just generally get to know a group of people, just being mindful of sort of the subtle and also more, I guess, open manners of which people kind of express like kind of how they truly feel about things or how they relate to a group. I, I have a question about safety. We've been talking about knowing whether you yourself are safe to share something and are safe to be vulnerable. Um, and I think that's really important. Um, but you know, there's another side to safety, which is that emotional safety, which is that, you know, sharing something vulnerable isn't just difficult for yourself. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it can bring really difficult things up for other people in the room, uh, that they maybe aren't prepared for, or maybe weren't prepared to be confronted with or to prepared to, to be thinking about in that context. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. like, if you have thoughts on, that side of safety, making it safe for the people who are around, you know, and are, are witnesses to this kind of sharing. Mm-hmm. I think there's a way to sort of issue a disclaimer for certain things. Like if there's just, for example, a certain topic or something that you bring up that is just very, very sensitive and you realize could kind of be sort of, you know, overwhelming for, you know, other people to sort of bear witness to, especially if it's, you know, something that might be perhaps a traumatic event or something like that. I think I think there's a way to kind of give notice of that in advance rather than just like jumping right in, kind of giving people that autonomy to decide if they want to sort of be in that space where they want to explore this more. Aside from that, I would say I think sometimes people conflate the idea of comfort and safety. I think people sometimes get the two confused because um, there are a lot of situations in which someone might be uncomfortable talking about something or hearing about something, but they're not unsafe. Like they're not in any way, like in any sort of physical or even really emotional damage outside of just, you know, being a little bit uncomfortable or being a bit challenged on sort of how they might see things. Is I think that we can all sort of gauge like, okay, like what is uncomfortable to sort of talk about? What might be sort of like pushing the envelope a little bit? And what's actually something that like, if I bring this up and do so in a way that like, you know, might be a lot for someone else, that that, that actually might do some more harm than good. So I think just sort of juggling those two it can be tricky, but I think that I think some we just keeping that idea in mind is is, is helpful. Mm-hmm. I am really curious about your experience with dance. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What uh, what's, oh, yeah. what's your background there? Definitely. Um, so 
funny enough, I actually didn't grow up dancing. I actually hated dancing growing up. I mean, and not because it was like I was like, oh, I find this awful. It was just that like, I mean, growing up in Atlanta, you know, there's very much like a very, when it comes to dance um, music, there's, there's very much a dominant hip hop culture. And I just felt like everyone I knew was just good at dance. Like everyone could just dance their asses off. And I'm like, how, like, when did y'all like rehearse? Like, I just felt like it was always like overwhelming because <laughs> people were just so good. And so like, I would... And like usually, you know, when you when you're younger, you know, you go to like school dances and stuff like that, and like that's where people kind of whip out these moves. And I'm just like, so y'all clearly had a three-hour rehearsal before this dance, and I did not. So I'm just gonna stand in the corner and just like not. And so I think it was it was hard to sort of get comfortable. But I think also there were some gender considerations at the time that I was still kind of trying to work through. Like I think you know, dance is something where at least for me, it's been really helpful to sort of like not be concerned with, you know, these ideas around masculinity or femininity or anything like that, but to rather just like allow yourself to move in a way that you just want to move. And if it can be read as feminine, whatever, if it's read as masculine, whatever, like it doesn't like, I, I think for me, it was as I was younger and kind of getting more, you know, just more comfortable with my, you know, gender identity, my sexual identity. Those are just other things that kind of made me hesitant to dance. Cause I was still trying to kind of, I guess, figure that out. And so so I started feeling more comfortable dancing sort of just in general, I would say around age, like 16, 17. And then when I went to college, I that's when I, I guess started taking dance in like a formal sense. So I started with modern. So I took that when I was 19. So I took a few modern classes and just throughout college had like took uh, some other classes here and there, sort of just like, you know, nothing super duper consistently, but you know, I did, you know, I did modern, I did some sort of like some hip hop fusion classes for a bit. Um, there was a summer where I was living in New York. And so I took some like voguing classes and like went to a few balls and like kind of got really into ballroom culture. And it wasn't really until I moved to DC where my dance training kind of just became much more robust and consistent. And that was when really for the first time I took jazz, ballet, like West African dance classes, like just like, you know, different styles I just never really done before. And it just kind of got to a space where I was like, I just honestly kind of became, I don't even think saying obsessed is even an overstatement. I think truly, like, I just started taking more dance classes, and I was like, I love this shit, and I want to do this shit all the time. <laughs> and so, like, now to the point where now it's like, you know, I'm in dance class, like, at least once pretty much every day, and I'm, like, always trying to work on different styles. And it's not, like, I haven't necessarily pinpointed one. You find that a lot of dancers will be like, I do modern, or I do jazz, or I do whatever. People kind of pick, or they might do one or two, whereas I'm kind of like, do all of them shit like why not like i'm like if the studio offers like all these different styles like why not just jump into all of them and so that's kind of been my um so it started off as sort of like a hobby something that like i sort of dipped my toe into but sort of got very aggressive about it very quickly um and then uh, more recently is when i started finding more um sort of performance opportunities in the dc area you know auditioning for different shows like i'm not part of a company at the moment that's the goal but um but i do find myself you know auditioning for different shows and things like that and kind of being involved with projects from time to time so that's kind of been my relationship with dance and honestly it's one of those things where i can confidently say that like i'm gonna be doing this shit forever regardless of my physical state in life i'm always gonna want to be involved in some sort of like movement related artwork because it's just it's just i mean it's truly saved my life in like so many in so many capacities and so that's kind of my relationship with dance so not certainly not like you know it's not it's not like i've been doing ballet for 25 years like nothing like that but it's something that i found in adulthood it's something that i've certainly been kind of accelerating on really really quickly um more recently since moving here so that's awesome so this this uh, show is kind of programmer oriented and and i spend a lot of time around programmers and and one of my observations is that 
they tend to, we tend to try to get out of our bodies and into our heads a lot of the time. And I feel like dance is a wonderful way of dragging you back into your own body. And, you know, I'm curious, like, I mean, I think everyone should try it, like personally, at least try it. And I'm curious if you have, have like suggestions for if somebody is like, hmm, maybe I could actually try that. Um, what would they look for? Should they go just go out to a club and start, you know, moving around? Is it would it mm. are there good classes that particular mm. classes that would make it feel, you know, safe and approachable and not scary? Yeah. So that's actually a really good question. I'm actually really glad you you asked that because I would say a good place to start would be more than taking, I guess. So you know, obviously when you when you go to a studio and stuff, they have their different levels. You know, your beginners, your intermediates, advanced stuff like that. Through my experience, sometimes those labels can be a little misleading. Like sometimes you'll take a beginner class and it's like beginner means in this context, because especially being an adult and taking dance classes, sometimes beginner means that like, you know, someone might have say, say it's like a beginner ballet class. Like someone might have had a history of ballet, stopped for a couple of years and then are jumping back in. So it's like they have a context that you yourself may not necessarily have yet. So sometimes beginner classes don't really feel beginner because everyone kind of knows what's happening, at least somewhat. So I would say a good place to start would be to, um, there's actually a really, really amazing studio in the, in the DC area. It's, it's in, um, it's in Maryland. Um, and it's called dance exchange. Um, and I've done some intensives and like just work with them in the past and they do really interesting kind of like more improvisational choreographic type of work. So when you go to one of their, um, their classes, it's not necessarily like, okay, like one and two and three and four and you're like doing a routine and like you know in a classical sense it's more like you're kind of given like the space to create your own movement to create your own phrases to just sort of be autonomous in that sense and that is really i would say that's a really really good place to start because there's no wrong way to do it right like if you're creating your own movement if your commission is to keep in mind these themes like maybe for example we had a discussion about something that dance exchange will do they'll like we'll talk about something just that exists in society and will create movement that sort of reflects our feelings around that or our insights around that. And so obviously there's no like translational way to do that. And so like when you move, it's just like a way that feels right to you. And so I think that that's a really good place to start just so you don't have to follow someone else's lead. You can kind of create your own lead. And like, if you just want to start somewhere, like see if there's like in your area, a place where you can take like movement improv classes or sort of like more movement oriented classes rather than dance specifically. But also if you want to just like jump into a beginner class, like that's honestly, I would say truly that is like the best way to start. But it like, but again, the, the optics of that can be kind of tricky too, because, you know, typically, you know, you're dancing in front of other people. People might be more experienced than you are. They'll actually almost certainly always be <laughs> more experienced than you are. You know, sometimes you have to go across the floor and then that can be kind of vulnerable in a way. But I would just say, like, yeah, like, definitely want to just if you want to just get comfortable just moving out in general, maybe be in a more informal space. Like, so a club, a bar, that's fine. Or also just taking a movement on prof class, that's fine. And then as you get more comfortable going to some sort of like more beginner oriented classes is it's good. But also shop around because some studios have a really weird energy. Sometimes it can feel like the culture doesn't really work for you. So definitely don't be afraid to check out different places and see what works for you. Because like I'm telling you, the instructor of a class can really just like transform everything um like you have a shitty instructor and you're just like well <laughs> like you, you don't want that alone to be the reason why you don't explore a form of dance that would otherwise be really really great for you so awesome thank you uh, i have one more qu uh, dance question for mm -hmm. you and that is what has dancing taught you about life i would say two things two major things sort of going on to the point that you had mentioned earlier about sort of dance just bringing you into your body i'm very much someone who just historically, I can I can be a bit of a perfectionist from time to time. And so 
dance has really just taught me to be patient with myself and to really appreciate myself and for like my abilities. And I think that when you go to a dance class, um, you know, for example, for me, like my goal was to, you know, I wanted to be more flexible. I wanted to be able to kind of do, you know, the pirouettes and all the like, you know, whatever, like classical bullshit that people be doing in a class. Like, so I think, you know, it, some, at first it was frustrating to see that like, you know, my range of motion or my, you know, the way in which I move my body wasn't similar to that of other people. But as I've done dance more and more, I've come to appreciate that, you know, like just the process of just getting more flexible, of stretching, of, of that is actually really, I mean, it's actually even outside of a yoga context can be very sort of just meditative and spiritual because like you just have to be very much in tune with your breath, very much in tune with like how your body is feeling. And so it's a really good way to just kind of connect with yourself. And like, you know, some it, it's become one of those things where in the morning, just when I wake up, I like to just, just stretch just to feel like in my body. And it's not even to like get a certain result, but just to like kind of feel more connected in that way. So I think dance has taught me to be a lot more patient with myself and to appreciate um, the gains that sort of naturally come as you, as you start to work towards a certain goal. But more than that, I would say the biggest lesson has just been like just vulnerability all day. Like... I realize and like vulnerability and also attitude. So what what I mean by that is basically, you know, sometimes when you're in a class, you know, if you're wanting if you if you're trying to get a certain movement phrase or if you're trying to get something that you haven't really done before, it's really easy to get frustrated. It's really easy to, you know, to psych yourself out. But I've noticed that like I dance the best when I just like allow myself to be in the space and when I trust myself. Like truly how you think about yourself translates into like how you move. And so even if you're not doing something perfectly, if you have a really open mind about it and you like you aren't just dogging yourself down and you're just like allowing again just being patient with yourself and being vulnerable and, and embracing that that's usually what carries more it's funny you'll you'll see people dance in class and it's like there might be five people dancing and every like four of them are just like hitting those counts like exactly and they're just like right on it but there might be that fifth person that like may not be perfect but is smiling through all of it having the time of their lives having such a great time great energy and that's the person you're going to watch. And like, it's just one of those things where like, I've noticed that like that joy and just bringing like all of that to the space is just, it, it just makes it, it remember like dance will be fun. Like people dance <laughs> because it's fun. So I think when you make it too serious, it, it becomes too insular. And so I think dance has really taught me just to like be more open with that joyous energy, be more vulnerable and, you know, just allowing myself to try something and know that I'm going to fuck it up. But like maybe the second time I do it, I fuck it up less you know like i think it's just it's allowed me to yeah just chip away at that perfectionist ideal of like i gotta get this right on the first time i'm not gonna embarrass myself in front of other people i'm not gonna do this that in the third blah blah blah. to now being like you know i'm gonna embarrass myself in front of these people but like ultimately like if i'm having a good time who the fuck cares whatever if i don't do it right girl whatever y'all probably been doing this for 10 years this is my first time doing it boom you know like that's kind of i would say that's sort of been the, the things that's taught me the most for sure Thank you. That's that's awesome. Part of what you're saying, Marcel, about the freedom and acceptance that you're experiencing with dance, I think is probably related to why a lot of what you were talking about in the very, very beginning about why we have disparities and, and our and our trying to do something about those disparities often doesn't work is partly because I think people don't feel that way. It's mm -hmm. hard to show compassion or empathy to somebody else when you don't do it for yourself. Right. So then it's hard to think outside of the box and think about ways and things that you could be doing differently that are not going to have heavy consequences if they don't work. It's really easy to lean on statistics and numbers because at least you're not going to be wrong about that. Exactly. Exactly. Versus, you know, I, I was thinking about 
what you had said about the was it a summit the summit that you did mm-hmm. the title but it included magic and i was thinking i don't know if i would have been brave enough to have a summit with the with the word magic inside of it and invite a bunch of scientists to it mm. and they're open enough to participate and really get something out of it i'd be more concerned that they were talking behind my back about how i must be kind of kooky mm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's also real. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's, and that's the hard part where it's like, I mean, I'm sure there were people in, I, mean, I was told people were like, girl, magic, what? Like, what, isn't this a public health thing? Like we're confused. Like, and I think, you know, sometimes like, that's the thing. It's like, I think, I think the biggest thing that I've learned just, I mean, dance, public health, all of the above is just to see myself outside of it. Like, I think when we allow our jobs or we allow these roles or these things that we, that we do enjoy to be the sum of who we are and take it so personally, then like, you're not going to take as many risks. Like, for example, if I see myself as I'm like this amazing dancer, I'm like, I'm a dancer and like, I'm perfect, blah, blah, blah. If I like, can't do something i'm gonna like i'm like that's gonna attack my like sense of self as a person versus if i'm like i really enjoy dance i want to get better at dance i want to expand my movement vocabulary i love this but i'm also infinite in who i am outside of this as well like this is not consume the entirety of who i am then you're going to be much more willing to take risks and things like that because if you make a mistake it's not an attack on you it's just like oh okay i just made a mistake but i still like it whatever like like that's i think like how it start to, you know, even like in the, in the work, like with public health, like I, I think especially with a job, it can be tricky just because like you spend so much time there. It's hard not to sort of see it as an extension of yourself. But I think that reminder of like, like I'm whole and complete outside of this. This is not make up who I am. And so like, if I make a mistake, like my identity as like someone who works in this capacity in this organization, like that's fine. Cause I'm still like, I'm still a whole person outside of that. I think sometimes like we romanticize this idea of like getting so consumed with something that it like, is the sum of who we are. And I think that's actually really dangerous. I think it actually prevents us from doing good work. I think it prevents us from, yeah, just like being more open and more vulnerable to an extent that we could be, but like aren't allowing ourselves to be because we don't want to have anything that attacks that identity that we have about ourselves. So I definitely see a parallel there, Marcel, between what you're talking about in your life experience and what I experienced as a senior developer or we're starting to talk more in my field about safety in terms of it being safe to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, for people who have a higher public profile, either in public or within an organization, you can feel a lot of pressure to never make a mistake. And it's actually really bad for people to not see you make mistakes because if they are themselves struggling with something or learning something and making mistakes along the way, they may hold you to a certain degree in reverence or look up to you in a certain way and think, I have to be perfect too. When in truth, everyone makes mistakes and everyone messes up from time to time and we're all learning. And I think that vulnerability can really be inspiring and making mistakes can even be inspiring. Right. Exactly. Because if you're not making mistakes, you're probably not doing the right thing, quite honestly. Like, because again, we're all just trying to make it work. So I think I 1000% agree. Well, we have this culture that, you know, supports this kind of very strict, very uh, perfectionistic attitude, especially around work. Um, I was Mm. recently reading this article, the Wired article about Elon Musk and about Tesla. And that's exactly the type of environment they were describing where people were getting fired for making mistakes. People were getting fired for talking to Elon Musk 
when a mistake had been made somewhere else, that there was this very high stakes, um, you know, we're trying to change the world, you have to be perfect kind of attitude. And Mm -hmm. we exalt that and say, it's great to be a genius. So even if you're kind of an asshole genius, that's fine. If you're going to demand 100 hour work weeks, that's fine. As long as the end justifies the means sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it feels really hard to reverse that kind of exalting to say, well, we actually like it if you don't push yourself to the limit, if you're not perfect, if you try things that are a little bit different, if you do allow yourself to make mistakes. It feels really hard to like make that happen. And mm-hmm. so, But you've actually had some success in creating those opportunities. So what would you suggest for people who maybe are not as where you are for your own personal journey, but who mm-hmm. are trying to get there? Like all things, I would say just just be patient with yourself and just acknowledge where you are with that. You know, if you notice that you have some tendencies that you're trying to unlearn, just giving yourself sort of the room and the grace to do that, um, I think is, is paramount. I think when we try to change really dramatically overnight like that's just <laughs> just I mean, it can it can work but I, I think it's not necessarily always sustainable so I think just yeah, acknowledging where you are and more than that remembering why because also I think you know I mean in this job I've only talked about you know sort of the successes but there are also a lot of times where like me being vulnerable me being open me expressing myself in a way that I knew was kind of contrarian um to sort of how people did historically did lead to tension did lead to problems like at the, in in that space and so it's one of those things where like in those moments just reminding yourself that like the issue isn't necessarily that I made a mistake or that I was open or more vulnerable it's just that like when you allow yourself to be more honest like sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't but regardless I don't think the feedback loop needs to only be okay if I'm only positively affirmed then I'll keep doing it but the moment someone like I get pushed back or whatever I'm just gonna stop doing that like I think you just have to have a resolve that like could withstand all of that. And again, that's easier said than done. It's something that you just have to be, you have to very actively sort of mindfully do. And sometimes it's just going to be easier than others. Like it's just, you know, it, 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 like all things in life, it kind of flows, but yeah, but I would just say, yeah, just be, just be open with yourself, be honest with sort of where you are and just kind of set realistic goals for yourself. Like kind of give yourself the grace to kind of incrementally get to where you want to be. And to remind yourself in moments where like, you know, being more open and more honest is like, didn't really work out or like perhaps it ended in a way that was kind of like, oh, okay, that wasn't necessarily great. Just reminding yourself that like, I mean, the, the issue was not the notion of being more vulnerable. Like that in itself is never going to be the the problem. It, it might be sure the reception or like whatever might be kind of the issue, but like you never don't, don't change that part because like, that's what we need to, especially, especially if you're doing work around sort of like society and trying to improve outcomes for people like you have got to always be vulnerable because my god they, like just, it is so important so yeah so i, I would say that that's my advice for sure marcel it strikes me that the kind of work that you're describing requires a delicate balance between confidence and humility how do you gain confidence while still retaining your humility don't fall for the hype I think that's really a huge, a huge piece. I think, you know, when, especially when you've been in a type of work for a really long time, when you've had a lot of successes and things like that, it's really easy to sort of be like, oh yeah, like I'm just, I'm just that girl. Like I'm just, you know, I'm just, you know, to get kind of self-absorbed in a way that like removes the, like the work from the communities you're serving and more so about makes it about you. 
So I would say certainly allow yourself to experience joy, allow yourself to be, you know, rewarded for things, you know, like, like, I'm not saying like, just be like robotic and like unresponsive when people compliment you and things like that. Like that's like, that's fine. But I think just like, just making sure that you don't let it consume you or like that become the motivation of why you do the work, but rather even if you were never given like an official award for something, like still remembering why you're doing that work. And like, that's like that ultimately the opportunity to do that work is honestly why we're here in the first place. So I would say try not to fall for the hype, but also allowing yourself to just trusting yourself. I think confidence at the end of the day is just all about just trusting who you are and trusting your ability and trusting that even if you make mistakes that you would never intentionally lead yourself astray and that you're always trying the best that you can. And that like, sure, sometimes the best that you can do may not necessarily be like what the expectations were. It may not, you know, sometimes it might lead to things that you did not foresee that aren't necessarily always good sometimes, but that ultimately the notion of you're always trying your best, you're always doing the things that you need to do to kind of move forward. I think in a, in trusting that, is like kind of all honestly all you need. And I think also again very very important is to see what work whatever work you do like however you define work seeing that as something that you do and not something that you are. Like I think at the end of the day when you when you see like yourself as entirely whole outside of it and you're bringing you're bringing those insights into whatever work that you're doing it's freeing in a lot of ways. It's liberating. It makes things way less deep. Not to say that it makes them less important, but like it's not so you 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 remove the ego nonsense out of the equation because like that's not it's again it's not necessarily who you are it's just something that you do so yes i would definitely say just kind of keeping that notion in mind and just just trusting yourself trusting yourself and knowing that you're always doing your best and that even if your best isn't what was expected like you're still always you're always working to make things better for yourself so yeah so just that trust not falling for the hype um yeah and just remembering that like you're a whole ass person outside of this so like whatever <laughs> if you make a mistake whatever <laughs> plenty of people have done it literally everyone has done it it's fine it's like not the end of the world and if you're in a sh- like in a workplace where people like overly criticize you for that or you know they make it seem like you've just done the worst thing on the planet then like that issue is that workplace and, like, and not in any way you because guarantee if people are so afraid to make mistakes they're probably not doing good work just saying i want to add like one one suggestion to that, if I could, mm-hmm. uh, for the the confidence and in in being vulnerable and in in doing things that might seem like mistakes in retrospect, be deliberate about building your support system. Make sure you have those people that you know you can go to after you feel like you've made a fool of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the, they're the people that will have the right reaction. You know that they won't try to minimize it, but they also won't like freak out about how. You know, the people that will just be like, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. You're still awesome. Exactly. And that support really helps. And ironically, when you do see your work as something that you do and you have the freedom to make a mistake at it without that being an infringement of your identity, uh, you get better at it because mm-hmm. you can try stuff. Right. Exactly. So, Marcel, this is the part where we do reflections and we let you mm-hmm. go last because you're okay. the most important stop <laughs> if if no one else is ready i can go reflect in eight <laughs> okay marcel i really liked what you said and this is paraphrasing when you said the feedback loop can't be i'm only going to keep doing this if i'm positively affirmed mm-hmm. um i feel like that's a really important statement because i do think that um although when we talk about these things we probably already logically know that uh, in the process of trying to change or trying to grow, it can be really 
hard because it's uncomfortable. And it does feel like if I don't, if I'm getting any type of negative feedback, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing and I should stop. And so it's a good thing to remember, like you said, to remember why you're doing it and that it's not just about everybody agreeing or thinking that what you're doing is great, that it's a larger goal. Mm -hmm. I was really struck by something, Marcel, that you said early on when we were talking about the tension between authenticity and safety. You said Mm -hmm. it's not zero or 100. You talked about scaling vulnerability. And I think that's something that I need to work on personally a little bit better because there are certain situations maybe at work where I have an ideological difference with my manager or with a coworker or something. And I'm like, oh, it's not safe for me to talk about X versus being surrounded by people who do social justice work. And I, I feel like I can be a lot more open. So I think I need to remember that it is scalable. It's not all or nothing and that I can reveal parts of who I am or reveal parts of my experience and cap it. Mm-hmm. That's real. I really liked what you had to say about that one person on the dance floor who might not be nailing their moves uh, perfectly in time, but is, is, you know, has a great big smile on their face. That is definitely the person I love to see and the person that I like to be. And, and, and that's a, an image that I like to keep in my mind. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. When I first started going out to dance at clubs as a very young person, uh, the trick for me was seeing someone who was dancing. And instead of saying, I want to look like that, saying, I want to have that much fun. It doesn't matter what I look like. Right. Exactly. But the quote that got me early on was when you said, imagination is paramount to creating a better world. Because the futures that we can hold in our head are powerful. They're like, they're causal of our actions. Mm-hmm. And they they don't actually have to be possible. Yeah, exactly. That, that, yeah, to be powerful and to, that is what it's about. It's not about us Yeah, in our work. No matter how awesome we, we might look, it's not about that. It's about the work itself and the mm-hmm. imagination that, no wait, and the future that we're imagining. Mm-hmm. That's real. And, and especially when you realize that, like, I mean, nothing's really, like, accidental. Like, society didn't just end up like this. Like, for better or for worse, people imagined, a, you know, a, a lived reality that came from, you know, their minds that was percolated into organizing bodies and became such. So I think we all have that power. And I think sometimes the disarming thing about oppression is that, you know, it tries to convince us that, like, our visions, our imaginations, our ways of seeing the world are somehow invalid or, like, less than when it's like, no, like, I mean, all of this, sh- all of, literally all of this should exist because <laughs> there were people who had a certain vision and they, they brought that to, to fruition. So, like, if that can be the case for everyone, for a lot of people, then, like, it should be a case for everyone as well. But, yes, but I would say that my reflection, biggest reflection, I mean, I really enjoyed the opportunity to sort of articulate, like, just the importance of art and, like, just the importance of creativity, of vulnerability, of all of that into this work. Um, it's, it's, it's something that I think, I don't necessarily often get this the, the space to really do that. So yeah, I definitely appreciate the opportunity to just do that and just to, yeah, just to reflect. Cause I was like, cause you know, sometimes you say some things and you're like, Oh wow. I, I, I felt that way. Huh? It's just like, okay, cool. I'm gonna journal about that later. But, but yeah, so overall just good conversation. Marcel, thank you thank- so much for coming. Yeah. Of it's, course. Been, it's been really great. You're a really fascinating person. And I'm thankful for the time we get to talk with you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you all for having me. 